I was sharing a little bit with the kids about some different things that they have in their homes. I, I looked up this week inventions since 1950. You realize how much stuff has come in since 1950. Now, some of you were born before 1950, so maybe you remember a time without these things, or maybe these things have now become sort of flooded in the market, if you will, and you remember a time when not everybody had one of these things. But as I mentioned, the microwave oven was invented uh, since 1950, sometime in the, in the 1950s. The polio vaccine came in in, I believe, 1953 or 4, something like that. Uh, the, the computer hard drive has been invented, of course, since then. You remember, you remember the old computers that took up an entire room? You remember those? Or, or the ones that literally had, you know, the, I mean, this huge thing. Now you carry one in your pocket, right? That's, that's, you got your own computer. Uh, the commercial jet airplane came into being since 1950, allowing us to get from point A to point B very quickly. Cordless tools. All the guys said amen, right? Cordless tools invented since 1950. Pretty cool stuff. Communication satellites were launched, invented and launched since 1950. Without those, uh, much of what we do doesn't happen. You don't have satellite TV. You don't have uh, the, the advancements in, uh, in all the different ways that we communicate and so on. Uh, how many of you have had bypass surgery? Anybody had bypass surgery? Invented since 1950. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Without that, might not be here, right? Amen. Smoke detectors invented since 1950. How many of you now you're thinking, man, when's the last time I changed that battery? Right? Do it today. Okay, do it today. Uh, electronic ignition for cars. Anybody remember having to pump that thing and get it going? Do you also know that, that when that was invented, it paved the way for things like anti-lock brakes and other stuff that would be electronic and so on in the, in the vehicle? Uh, GPS. Some of you get lost going from room to room in your house, right? Where am I? And so... Uh, we had an adventure last night in Paducah that we, we relied upon our GPFs to get us from one place to another because we were traveling with some different folks and we all kind of got separated and, and uh, we, Pizza Inn was drawing us, but we couldn't all figure out exactly how to get there. GPS helps. The internet. Uh, it's how I looked this stuff up. The internet invented, of course, since 1950. Uh, Wikipedia, your favorite place for false information, right? That's, there you go. Uh, Facebook, your favorite place for more false information and ranting and other not good things. And, and, and then, of course, the iPhone. And where would we be without our smartphones and our devices? And some of you I know are still hanging on with the flip phone. And, you know, your 1988 has called and they want it back or whenever that was. They, it's okay. But so many things that when they first arrived on the scene, I guarantee you, if you remember when these things came in or maybe you remember hearing stories of parents, grandparents talking about it, at first, well, I don't need that. Nah, I don't need any of that stuff, you know. I, you know, these people, they're just lazy. You know, they need to use a microwave oven to cook their food. They're just lazy. Maybe your grandmother talked about that. I don't know. But you think about GPS even. Well, somebody, you just need to know how to read a map. You just need a better sense of direction. No, I don't. I just look on my phone. It takes me exactly where I need to go a lot faster than you're going to get there, pulling over on the side of the road looking at your little hand map, right? You know, that's, so that, anyway, we at first think these things are, oh, I don't know. And then we can't live 
without the new. Uh, The good old days sometimes weren't so good, were they? Sometimes we think, well, you know, okay, yeah, I get it, but we really don't need all that stuff. Some of you today are just longing for days maybe when we didn't have this stuff because you think that society was different back then. Life was better. Maybe before we were caught up in all this technology and, and we were addicted to all these different things. The good old days, you say, they, they weren't just about not having these things. They, they were about when people acted like Christians and they, they were kind to one another and they, and they did what was right. Until we remember things like segregation. Until we remember how women were treated. Until we, we remember the fear of nuclear holocaust during the Cold War. The good old days, by the way, weren't really so good. And I'm not just talking about inventions. I'm just talking about the fact that those things were there. But the new where we live now might not appear good to you. You might not really enjoy it. Now, you may long for the good old days, but what if, let me just ask you this, what if God is doing something far better than anything we ever experienced in the so-called good old days? What if he is? I really believe he is, by the way. Uh, I maintain a hope that because fewer and fewer people are just casually following Jesus, that that means that the people who are following Jesus are truly following Jesus. Well, not as many people go to church these days. You know what? Maybe they were just trying to act like a car by sitting in a garage, if that makes sense. Maybe today people are more serious, those who are, are more serious about their faith than ever. The new Christianity, if you can call it that, is no longer based on just church attendance or acting like a Christian. It's, it's based on complete devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what it really means today to be a Christian. When you call yourself a Christian today, you are saying, I am completely devoted to Jesus. Now, some people aren't comfortable with that. Uh, some people like the old much better. Some people prefer to be counted among the Christians as long as it's just about Sunday morning attendance once or twice a month. As long as it doesn't require them to do any sacrificial giving or serving, as long as it doesn't call, uh, doesn't ask them to call on Jesus except when they're in a personal crisis that they created, <laughs> uh, as long as it doesn't preach to them anything that, that doesn't hurt their feelings, as long as it doesn't tell them that Jesus isn't interested in a halfway commitment. We like the good old days, we think. But maybe God's doing something new. And to be honest, that's what I see a lot in the good old days of Christianity in America. is a casual commitment. Sort of a halfway in, halfway out. I'll show up on Sunday morning, but maybe it doesn't mean that much to me. But I'm, I'm glad, I'll be honest with you. The Lord seems to be ushering in something new. Even though I don't know where it's all going to lead and I don't know what's going to cost me. But I'm glad to see God's ushering in something new. The scripture we're going to look at today, I'd say all that stuff because if you're feeling as if I'm not so sure I like this new, I kind of like the old, that's what the people in Corinth were feeling. If you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today. We're, we're in a series, if you're just joining us or if you've missed one or two, I'll catch you up real quick. We're in a series on the book of 2 Corinthians called No Pain, 
no gain. Paul, the apostle, had met Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything had changed in his life. And he is now a minister of the gospel. And he is experiencing, because of that, tremendous pain and suffering and difficulty in his life. And he's learning that without all that stuff, I never gain Jesus. I never understand him deeply and truly. And he's facing an audience, if you will, in a, in a town called Corinth, uh, a place where he started a church. And these people are saying to Paul, we're not sure we believe that you're truly a guy sent from God. Because if you were, why do you have all these problems? Why is everything so difficult for you? Why, why are you suffering so much? Why is nobody like you? Why aren't your sermons more powerful? Why isn't your church more full on Sunday mornings? And he's trying to tell them, look, the reason that you can trust me is because I'm carrying on the ministry of Christ. Look what they did to him. And he's saying, I am a minister of Christ because of the evidence in my life of all this suffering. Anyway, he gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up today. We're going to read verse 6 and then focus really today mainly on 7 through 18. He's continuing to, to tell them, here's why you should hear what I have to say. Here's why you should listen to me. And here's what's so much better about the old system that you've been following. So if you got your Bible there and you're in 2 Corinthians, look chapter 3, verse 6. Paul, he, at first he says, who's competent to carry on this kind of ministry? And then he says in verse 6, he, talking about Christ, has made us competent, competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. Now if the ministry of death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel were not able to look directly at Moses' face because of the glory from his face, a fading glory, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious in this case because of the glory that has surpassed it. For if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness, not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not look at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. However, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Well, that's kind of thick, isn't it? There's kind of some repeated words there and some phrases, and what in the world is he talking about? I, I really believe that ultimately what Paul is trying to say is that new has come through the old, and it's time to get on board with the new that God has done. These folks were still kind of over in the old kind of way of doing things, in the old covenant, focused only on what God did back in the Old Testament. Paul says Jesus has come, and all things we'll see in chapter 5 have been made new. And so Paul is saying there's an old versus the new. The new has come through the old. And he gives us several different themes and categories, if you will, sort of some antitheses to put together. And that's what we're going to go with. You've got a lot of blanks on your bulletin outline, don't you? 
And, so, and, and, and I, it, some of you get nervous, okay? How on earth? Some of you are with me on Wednesday nights, by the way. And the running joke is on Wednesday night, we don't ever get finished. I have these little handouts that I do. We have a great time, by the way, on Wednesday nights. And I, I hope that, that if, you, if you're ever on the fence about, hey, you know, what, what are we going to do tonight? Come to church on Wednesday night. You get a free meal at 545. Your kids and, and teenagers got great things going on for them. And the adults meet right in here. And, and we do. We have a really good time. And, and it was so funny this past Wednesday night, I was being flagged down by one of the folks. I was in a conversation that I, I'm losing track of time. I'm being flagged down. You better get started because you're not going to get finished. It will not happen. So this morning, I know that you're nervous because there's a lot of blanks on there. But we're going to go real fast. So buckle your seatbelt and get ready to write. They're all going to appear on the screen. Okay, we're going to look at old versus new. And here's how Paul gives them. Here's what he says about it. The first comparison contrast that he gives is law versus spirit. So you got your first blanks there. Write that down. I want you to go back to verse 6 of what we just read. He said, he has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, he's talking about the law of Moses, but the spirit. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. So Paul is holding up what he does quite often in, in the letters that he wrote. He's writing to people who were still caught up in doing things in the old covenant kind of way. If you remember when God establishes the people of Israel, by the way, he does that before he gives them the law. If you're ever confused about which comes first, me understanding and coming to faith in God or me obeying God, it's always coming to faith in God, being established by him first, and then God gives the law. Here's how you're to live because you're my people. But when God gives the law, he says, here's how you can keep me in the middle of your presence. Here's how I will reside among you by you following these things. And Paul says, we're ministers of a new covenant, not of the law anymore, but of the spirit. Now, if you can follow just a little bit here, the purpose of the law that God gave in the Old Testament was to show how sinful we are. It wasn't ever to show us, here's how to earn God's favor. Never following the rules is a way to earn God's favor. Number one, God loves you because he created you. Number two, he loves you because he sent his son to die for you. Understand those things. And he is pleased only when we have faith in him. You can do all the right things and still not please God. Do you remember that? Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the purpose of the law was not to show us, here's exactly how God will just be cool with you all the time. It is to show us how sinful we are. Why? Because we break it all the time. We, we can't ever do everything right. We are simply born sinful. And so its, it's purpose is to show us how sinful we are, and then it functioned in such a way that it would point us to our need for a Savior. That's why God gave the law. It's what he wanted the Israelites to understand. But the law had limits. It couldn't save anyone. It didn't offer any mercy, any grace, any forgiveness. It just said, here's what's right and here's what's wrong, and if you break it, I'm going to kill you. That's basically what it was. You say, well, what good was it? What's the point of that? Well, it revealed God's character, showed how holy God is, how separate, how different, how other he is from us. It also revealed our sinfulness. It just shows us, man, we cannot measure up to God's standard. And it revealed the fact that nobody can keep the law perfectly. Nobody, you know, well, I'm not that bad. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. So, you know, so am I. You're that bad. 
You know, a few weeks ago we talked about Paul being the, the, the chief of all sinners. We're back in our Bible study series last year. Who's the worst person you know? You. That was the answer to that question. I am. We're all that bad. We can't keep God's law perfectly. And, and by tripping over one little part of it, the Bible tells us, we have broken it all because we've offended His holiness. And it reveals that no one can save themselves by just being good. That's what the law shows us. And then you have the new covenant, that of the Spirit. Paul says we're ministers not of the letter which kills, but of the law. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, to save us from sin, completely forgiving us and cleansing us from the inside out. There are no limits to the Holy Spirit's work. He can save anyone. Some of your testimonies to that. You say, you know what, I once was this, and now I'm not. I look around this room, and I know some of your stories. And I know what you've told me. You say, I used to be this way, but God intervened and His Holy Spirit has changed my life. That's what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit can transform the worst of us. Who's the worst? You and me. <laughs> can transform anybody. And so this law versus Spirit, Paul wants them to know they would no longer be about just following the law, but about following the Spirit of God who lives inside all who believe. So he says, the new is the Spirit, the old is the law. We've understood the new because the, the old has led us to that point. Then he goes on. He talks about death versus life. So you've got law versus spirit, and you've got then death versus life. Look at it at the end of verse 6. For the letter kills, but the spirit produces life. The letter kills. The law requires death. Sometimes immediate, but certainly always delayed and eventual. Sometimes the penalty for certain things in the Old Testament was immediate death. Sometimes God took care of it right there. Sometimes it will say the Lord broke out in the camp and 40,000 people died right then. <laughs> wow. Sometimes it will just say in Genesis chapter 5, the repeated refrain is, and he died. And he died. And he died. Go read Genesis 5 sometime. You want to know the penalty for sin? It's death. And he died. Over and over and over and over Death is the result of not obeying the law of God. God provides a sacrificial system for them so that animals could die in the place of these humans. But death was always a part of their camp, if you will. There always were things or people dying. Imagine the slaughterhouse that was the tabernacle. That animals, oh, just blood everywhere. You think those animals died willingly? No, no, no. They were slaughtered. A constant reminder that breaking the law of God requires that we or that something or someone die. And it's because of that sacrificial system that had to be repeated over and over every single year that they could have no confidence that they were truly forgiven and truly saved. And ultimately their rebellion against God caused him to distance himself. Which of course is the ultimate death. But Paul says, we're not ministers of that. We're here to show you the new, that the Spirit brings life, both now and delayed. We receive new life now in Jesus Christ, and one day, new life forever with Him. And that's the result of receiving the Spirit. And the sacrifice of Christ is, is once and for all. 
The reason we tell you all the time, the reason we say it's Jesus plus nothing, it's not Jesus plus doing these other things and wishing and hoping. It's Jesus. He took care of everything. He did it all. He doesn't have to die again. That sacrifice doesn't have to be repeated. It is once and for all a permanent thing that through his death we receive life. And because his, his work on the cross was so complete, so satisfying to God, we have assurance that if we are believers in him and have received that life from him, it will never be taken away. Because it was complete and it was done. And so we stand no longer deserving death, but in Jesus Christ receiving his life. So you've got law versus spirit, you've got death versus life. And then thirdly, Paul goes on and he says you've got stone versus heart. Look at verse 7. If the ministry of death chiseled in letters on stones, if that came with glory... He talks about it's written on stones. You know what stone he's talking about? He's talking about the Ten Commandments chiseled on stone. You seen Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Seen that one? The greatest movie ever? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. So they get to the little part where they're meeting with these guys. And Indiana Jones talks about, you know, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And the, these, these two army fellows are a little confused. Well, they haven't really heard about this much. And he says, you know, what do you mean the Ark of the Covenant? He says, well, where the stone tablets that Moses brought down from where they were kept. And they say, wait, wait, wait. He, what, what stone tablets? He said, the Ten Commandments. And they say, you mean the Ten Commandments? And he says, yeah. Didn't you guys go to Sunday school? Do you know what we're talking about? He's talking about the Ten Commandments etched in stone. Moses, Moses brings these down from the Lord. But it, it, even those Ten Commandments were etched on something outside of the people. It was etched on stone. So it's external. Not, not on the inside. It's, it's always corrective, but it's not transformative as we'll see. And it led to people just being stubborn. And that's how our hearts are when we're just trying to follow the rules the way that we think they're written. And it was temporary. The people, even though they had this law written on stone, you know what they would do for themselves? They would make it easier. They would, they would, they would explain it in such a way that, well, if you, it's, you know, yeah, I mean, it kind of says that, but this is it's not a big deal. That's what the Pharisees were really good at. They would have all these interpretations of things, and it was written on stones, so and they could just change it however they wanted to. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God says that he promises to bring a new covenant which will be written on the hearts of people, no longer on stone. We don't have to, by the way, we don't have to put things up around this building to remind us. If we're truly believers in Jesus, guess what? He lives inside of us. His law is written on our hearts. And he creates in us, inside of us, a desire to do his will, to obey his word that that law could never impose on us from the outside. It makes us willing, willing to, to not just live for him, but to enjoy living for him. It's permanent, written on their hearts. God's word living in us, on the inside, making us new, causing us to want to obey, giving us the, the ability to obey. So you've got stone versus heart. Paul is saying it's so much better to have God's word written on your heart. That old stone tablet, guess what? It's faded away, and now that law is written on our hearts. He goes on to talk about condemnation versus righteousness. Condemnation versus righteousness. Look at verse 9. He says, If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. Well, there's a couple long words to write, aren't they? 
condemnation and righteousness. So I'm giving you time, by the way. All right, All right write them down. He says that old ministry, that old law, it, was, it really only served to condemn you, to show you how bad you are. That was God's purpose with it, to show you can't measure up. God's telling them how much they need him. And he says, but the, the, the new covenant, the new ministry, this ministry of righteousness is so much better. What he says is that old, that old law, it had glory. It showed who God was. It, it, it revealed God to us. But through Jesus Christ, something better has come. A brighter light has shown. A greater glory has come. It doesn't mean that the old was bad and awful and terrible. That's not what he's saying. But it brought condemnation for those who broke the law, as we all did. And he says this new ministry is righteousness. Condemned is our condition through the law, but redeemed is our condition through God's Holy Spirit. We're cursed when we don't keep the law, but we're blessed because Jesus kept the law on our behalf. This is some fairly deep theological stuff this morning, isn't it? But I'm telling you what, if you do not understand this, you will continue to try to follow all the rules and do everything the right way, hoping and wishing maybe someday, one day, your good will outweigh your bad and God will accept you. And that's how most Christians live. If you don't understand that the new has come in Jesus Christ, you will continue to live in a feeling of condemnation and shame. What does Romans chapter 8 tells us? There is now, therefore, no what? Condemnation for those who are what? Perfect and do everything right and wish and hope and try to do the best they can. Just suck it up and go with it. No, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the only way to escape it. It's the only way to be made righteous. We'll see in a few weeks in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when we get there that Jesus traded his righteousness for our sin. He took upon himself the sin of the world, taking our condemnation so that we might get his righteousness as a trade. Whereas once God's presence for the Israelites just meant they were condemned, God broke out in the camp and killed 40,000 of them. (laughs) Now the presence of God is welcomed because it brings us salvation and joy. Do you see what Paul is saying? He goes on to talk about veiled versus unveiled. This gets a little bit confusing, but follow here for just a second. Look at verse 10. He said, in fact, what had been glorious is not glorious in this case because of the glory that surpasses it. So by comparison, Jesus is just so much better than anything that's ever come. That's what he's saying. And then he says, verse 11, for if what was fading away was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious, obviously. And then look at verse 13. He says, not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not look at the end of what was fading away. He says in verse 15, however, to this day when Moses read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is removed. He's talking about that the veil, Moses would literally wear something over his face because he had interacted with God and he had the glory of God shining out from him. The people naturally were scared to death and they knew that because of their sin that God could not immediately be in their presence. And so Moses knew this. God's about to destroy all the people because of their disobedience. And Moses says, let me just kind of radiate it for you. God says, that's cool, we'll do that. He puts a veil over his face so that the people can't really interact with God that closely. And because God, if he's truly there, would have to destroy all those folks, 
But what you have is exposure to God being limited and temporary. And only the priest, the high priest, could go into the presence of God once a year. It's, it's a limited kind of thing. And it's veiled. They couldn't fully understand what's going on. God, we, we don't know everything. And the prophets would say this is going to happen and this is going to happen. The people didn't fully get it. And so it's kind of veiled, if you will. It's a little unclear, and there's some separation there. And then he talks about how those who turn, for those who turn to Christ, the veil is lifted. It's removed. Now God can dwell with us. Why? Because Jesus has come, and he has mediated the presence of God, and he has taken away our sin so that we now can exist in the presence of God. Do you remember when Jesus died? One of the Gospels records what was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil in the temple, right? Do you know what the veil in the temple did? It separated the people from what? From the presence of God. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? And, and, and catch this, if you catch nothing else. That when Jesus died, there's no separation now. There's no separation. He is the veil. We go through him and him alone. You don't have to come through me. Listen, I'll pray for you all day long. I'll be happy to talk with you about anything. But you do not have to come through me to get to Jesus. Don't have to do it. You go directly to him. You go through and the veil is gone. There is no high priest that has to go on your behalf and, and try to beg for your forgiveness before God. You just go to Jesus Christ and he said, I didn't rip it all up. Come on. Amen. That's what he does. The veil is gone. There is no separation now between us and the Lord. Don't, don't miss that. Don't get lost in the deep theology stuff today. Embrace it and let God speak to you through it. Anyway, he goes on, he talks about slavery versus freedom. Look at verse 17. He says, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some of your versions may say there is liberty. You've got slavery to what? To never measuring up. That law just it makes you a slave. You're trying to do all the right things. Listen, I know some of you right now, you are so confused this morning because you're thinking, now, wait a minute, hold on a second. Are you telling me it doesn't matter how I live? Are you telling me that, that, that me coming to church on, a, on kind of a cold, I mean, I got up this morning and it was hard and I didn't feel like coming and look around. I'm one of the few people that came to church this morning. Are you telling me that I'm doing something wrong? Are you telling me that you don't want me to show up? You telling That's not my point. But if you are trying to follow all the rules so that one day, someday, maybe God will be pleased with you, you are a slave to that law. You're not free. You know it. You're not free. You're a slave to it. You wonder, okay, is this enough? Is this enough? Well, okay, is this enough? Do I need to put some more in the offering plate? Do I need to show up earlier? Do I, do I need to move forward? Do I need to move back? I mean, what do I need to do? Do I need to sit? Do I stand on one leg while we sing? What do I need to do, Lord? You're a slave to that. There's no freedom in any of that stuff. You're a slave to trying to go all over again the next week. Well, I, this week wasn't very good, so I guess I'll go to church. I'll put a little more in this week. Maybe God will help me. You ever done that? Oh, yeah, you have. Okay, it's okay. We all do that. Well, God, if I just do this, will that, will that be enough? Will you change things now, God, if I just do this? Or we said, you know, God, I've been living this way. Why on earth has this happened to me? You ever done that? Slave to the law. Slave to sin. Can't bust free from it. Slave to the desires that you have that are ungodly. And he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, what? There is freedom. Freedom from what? From all that mess. From all of that. Freedom from condemnation and sin. You don't walk around in shame anymore if you know Jesus. 
Well, I messed up. Okay, yeah, that's great. He said in 1 John, if you confess your sin, what? He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but I really messed up. Okay. You think Jesus' death doesn't cover that? Well, I don't know. Okay. And then you don't believe any of it. Freedom also to do the right thing. Freedom to consider others first, to love other people as you should. Freedom to forgive the unforgivable. Freedom to return evil, or good rather, for evil. Freedom to obey God. This isn't permissiveness. It matters how you live. God told us to be holy as He is holy. But it's freedom to live the way that God has called you to live. That's tremendous. And He also talks about there's being hardened versus being transformed. Look at verse 14 again. He says, talking about those who used to read the Old Testament and maybe still do, he says in some cases, he says their minds were closed. For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted because it is set aside only in Christ. However, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And then look at verse 18. He says, we all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. He talks about they were hardened in their hearts. Their minds were dull. They couldn't understand why. Because of their sin. Because of their refusal to obey the Lord. They couldn't, they couldn't get it. They, they just wanted a ceremonial, ritualistic kind of religion. They just wanted to be able to go through the motions and check off the boxes, and their minds, because of that, were hardened. They couldn't understand. Paul says, when, when this new comes, when the ministry of the Spirit has come, people now are transformed. They finally get it. You ever had that dawn on you? Lord, I think I finally understand. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think I've been going out this the wrong way. I think maybe finally, Lord, I get it just a little bit. That's what he's talking about. The veil being removed. The, the confusion being taken away. And you see clearly what Jesus has done. What you can't do that he did in his life and his death and his resurrection. And you say, oh, okay. <laughs> now I get it. Paul had experienced transformation on the road to Damascus. And all he wanted was to see other people experience that same thing. To no longer be bound up by the old way of doing things, but to receive the new life in Jesus Christ. And he knew that exposure to the Spirit of God is what transforms us. Listen, I, I hope and pray that coming here to church at Elm Grove is part of what the Holy Spirit uses in your life, but guess what? Simply showing up here will not change your life. It will not happen. Do you know what maybe showing up will do? Maybe it will say to, to the Holy Spirit, Lord, I'm ready for you to work in my life. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to listen and I'm going to sing. and I'm, Lord, I'm going to worship you and I'm going to pray that your Holy Spirit transforms my life. That's the only chance that we have. Don't just show up. Show up and say, God, change me. Make me somebody new, somebody different. And Paul says we are transformed not into the image of the preacher, not into the image of the Sunday school teacher, not into the image of the deacons, but into the image, he says, of who? Of Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're like me. I really, really don't. I, I, I'm probably not the best person for you to follow in every area of life. You know what I'm saying? But I want you to be like Jesus. And I want to be like him. And I can tell you this, any spiritual leader that we have in our church, if you get honest with them, they'll say, look, don't, 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 try, don't, don't try to follow me. You follow me, like Paul said, only as far as I'm following Christ. 
We get transformed. Receiving justification means we're declared right before the Lord. It's sanctification, which means our character is conformed to Him. And glorification, one day, someday, we'll be with Him. To, to the Corinthians, Paul's ministry didn't look very successful. He looked like a failure because they saw in the Old Testament that God blessed Israel with all kinds of stuff. And that's what God said. If you obey me, then you have all these blessings. You'll be this rich nation that everybody will be so impressed with. And they'll come to want to know, who is your God? And that was under the old covenant, the way that God did things. And under the new covenant, Paul sends, or God sends this messenger named Paul who he said, he'll discover how much he's going to suffer for me. So they looked at Paul and they didn't see any of the Old Testament blessings. This dude's not rich. He, he doesn't have God's obvious blessing on his life of everything going the right way. He had no health and wealth kind of prosperity. He had none of that stuff. And Paul says, I, I want you to understand I'm experiencing the new covenant blessings. And that is in the midst of my difficulties, in the midst of my pain and suffering, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me who has brought me a hope that I could never get from the old covenant. Folks, let me tell you this. Even if, and, I, and I'm probably going to make some of you mad, okay? I just know this. So just get ready. You can get over it now, okay? All right, what's he going to say? Even if, even if our country as a whole began to act more Christian, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are more Christian. The Old Testament blessings that we long for of God, oh, he, he's just health and wealth and everything goes right, guess what? That's been replaced by the sufferings of Jesus Christ. You want to know God, he's going to take you through it. It might not all be roses and everything's great and all these wonderful blessings in your life and you've got more money than you know what to do with. Guess what? Sometimes God may take it all away. Do you see why the Corinthians didn't like that? Because guess what? We don't like it either, do we? I don't want to hear that. I just want everything to be all right. I just want to not feel stressed living in my own country anymore. I, I just, I, if Jesus is who he says he is, he can lead you right through it. He's a straight line for everything. He can lead you right through it. Even if things don't turn around, even if all that stuff keeps happening. Paul just said, folks, you're, don't, don't miss the point. Don't look for Old Testament blessings in a New Testament world. He says, I've suffered, but Jesus has led me through. How do you receive the new? We're going to close with this. Two quick things, Paul says. Verse, 12, or verse, verse 14, rather. He says, their minds were closed for this day. At the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It's not lifted. Why? Because it is set aside, what? Only in Christ. Okay, I just need to try harder. Nope. Submit more. But more to Jesus Christ. Just surrender. Only in Christ can you receive the new. Not through religion, not through rituals, not through traditions or buildings or performance or even shame, feeling really bad about what you've done, or trying harder. Only in Christ. And then he says in verse 16, he says, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What, what, what do I do today? Um, what are you trying to say? Well, it's a lot of stuff. What do you want me to do? Turn to the Lord. I said, 
We're going to we're just going to let Paul's point here be what the point of the sermon is. Turn to the Lord. Don't turn to yourself. Don't turn to this church. Don't turn to try to make everything right in your life. Turn to the Lord. Let him deal with all the rest of the stuff. He says, then the veil will be lifted. Then you'll understand. Then you'll be made new from the inside out. All those inventions that we once didn't like, we kind of realized, you know what? That was pretty good, wasn't it? I, I hope and pray that as you turn to the Lord and away from all the stuff that you've been trying to gain hope and boldness and courage from, that you'll say, you know what? That's pretty good. I didn't realize what I was missing. You know, at first I thought, oh, I don't know about that preacher on Sunday mornings. I mean, I thought we liked him, but now I'm not so sure. Hmm. But man, the more I turn to the Lord, the more I realize that that scripture right there is accurate. Turn to the Lord. What is it in your life you need to turn from and turn toward Jesus? What is it? I don't know. Turn to the Lord. Let the veil be lifted by turning to the Lord, by only in Christ. Turn to Him this morning. Give up the old to receive the new. Trust Him today. Let's pray together.